It's time for the Word of the Lord. I love Sunday morning at Calvary Gospel Church. Praise God. I love Sunday night at Calvary Gospel Church. I like Thursday night at Calvary Gospel Church. I just like church. Do you? Praise the name of the Lord. From Genesis 6, I want to read verse 1 through 3. This is concerning the flood that God had promised to send upon a disobedient earth. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. In verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, but that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And then Genesis 7, verse 16, And they that went in, this is making reference to the people who went in the ark, basically Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight souls, and they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And you may be seated. Praise the name of the Lord. For some time now I have had such a different feeling when I pray. I, I just can't escape, not that I want to, this feeling that the Lord is coming soon. And there is a a real eerie feeling about it because I see so many people that are not taking the warning seriously. I personally can't help but think that all of the national disasters, calamities, and such that are taking place in in, in the United States of America have a direct bearing upon the sin of mankind and God wanting to send judgment. Now when I say God wanting to send judgment, God never wants to send judgment. It's something that He must do as a result of uh, of wanting to awaken, awaken men. I read a statement in the paper concerning the recent mudslides, the rains and such. Uh, one lady made this statement, uh, after the earthquakes then came the mud, and to the media she says, God, what do you want from us? Uh, She openly made that statement. It was almost like a plea or cry. What are you trying to tell us? What do you want from us? Last summer, we saw floods hit the Midwest to uh, a greater proportion than than the Midwest has had uh, since records have been kept. Crops were damaged. Uh, A national disaster area uh, 
involve two or three states, uh, and or one state, parts of two or three other states. Uh, we've always had floods. We've always had earthquakes. We've always had mudslides. We've always had fires. We've always had hurricanes. But it seems like recently that God at least is getting the attention of a few people. Some people are are really given thought to to this. Now, <clears throat> we know that people always think more in the line of the masses than they do in the line of, of, in the, of the individual. In other words, we think according to the way everybody else is thinking. Uh, when several people turn at once to repent, uh, you'll find that a lot of people will follow them. One person turns and repents. Uh, very few people then will just turn as a result of one. But after they see a good number of people doing this, they will turn. Now, I said that to say that <clears throat> it seems like that everybody would like to live in a better world, but they'd like for everybody else to be better before they get better. In other words, let me have the things that I want, let me have the things that I desire, let me be one of the last ones to turn and change before the judgments of the Lord rest upon the planet Earth. Now, I want to speak on the subject, the point of no return. There is a point in which it appears that, that, that uh, society, uh, you can search this out in history, just reaches a point in which... Uh, it seems to possess the inability to turn around and do anything about uh, its waywardness. It happened to Israel. It happened to the Babylonians. It happened to the Romans. It happened to the Medes, the Persians, the Grecians, the Assyrians. You can search it all out in history. They just they 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 built to a particular point, and uh, it seems as if they could do nothing about their waywardness. They even though they knew judgment was coming, that judgment was sure, uh, they just simply couldn't do anything about it. Now, that's a very strange thing, but uh, nevertheless, it is true. I have made several decisions in my lifetime that I'd like to reverse, but because that I have had already made the decision, I, I just couldn't reverse that. I'm, I'm sure that this is true of most of you who sit here in this congregation. How many of you have made decisions? I, they may be minor, but you made decisions you'd like to reverse. <laughs> but, but you can't, see, because the consequences have already... In other words, it's history. You can't change history. What history was, history is. and Or what your actions were, history is. And that's the way it is, and you, you can't change that. Uh, <clears throat> some people do learn by their mistakes. Others don't. I think if you look in the Scripture, you will find a good number of people that did learn by their mistakes. There were others who seemingly, the more mistakes they made, the deeper they dug their destiny, and uh, they, they kind of created a, a syndrome and they couldn't get out of it. Uh, David was a man who made a very drastic mistake. David was guilty. He was a king of Israel. He was guilty of adultery. He was guilty of murder. Um, this man was going his own way, doing his own thing, giving little thought to 
to anything until the Lord tapped him on the shoulder one day. This happened by a prophet coming in and prophesying, not about his sin, but about, actually it was about his sin, but it was a very clever way in which the prophet handled this. He told about someone else who had done a similar thing, and David wanted to bring the man into judgment and kill him. He seemingly did not understand that he was the man. And when David inquired about who the the man was, uh, uh, the prophet Nathan told him, said, You are the man. It was at that time that, that a real awakening, he came to himself. Something clicked inside of him. He began to repent of his sins. Don't know of a chapter in the Bible that, that affects me any more than Psalm 51. This is a psalm which David cried bitter tears. Now David could not reverse the situation. There are certain things that you do that, that uh, the consequences seem to be set in order whenever you do them. And, 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 and this was true of his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Uh, she brought forth a, a child, all of which David said was not, or God said was not going to live. He took this, this little lifeless body in his hands and held it up before God and walked the floor and prayed. But the baby died, and just like God said that this child would not live, and the child did not live. Uh, nevertheless, uh, David seemed to learn from his mistakes. He did not grow bitter. Uh, he was a man that. That made his share of mistakes, but uh, he allowed all of the mistakes of life to melt him, to uh, <clears throat> to create humility, uh, to create contrition in his life. He was a man uh, later on that was known as a man after God's own heart. He simply learned by his mistakes. I trust and pray that that uh, if I make a mistake. And I know I will because I've made many. Maybe I should rephrase it. When I make a mistake, that that God will wake me up and that I will understand that mistake and that God will show mercy to me. Now, God by nature is a God that shows mercy to individuals. I think that uh, what is happening here in our land, the the sprinkling of the judgments of God upon, upon the American... Uh, population is really an act of God's mercy. God's wanting to wake us up, to get us to understand that He does not want to destroy us. I think if you look in Revelation 2, you look at the church in Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira was a church that uh, endorsed the doctrines of the woman Jezebel. Uh, <clears throat> Jezebel had committed fornication. Uh, <clears throat> there is such a thing as spiritual fornication, spiritual uncleanness. The word fornication comes from the Greek word pornea, that pornography comes from. It simply means spiritual uncleanness. Uh, God is not only interested in what you do, but He's interested in, in the motives that cause you to do that. He's also not interested altogether in what you do as much as... Uh, he is interested in what you do, but please understand that, that you be, what you do is determined by the way you think and, and the intents of the heart. Uh, if your thought patterns are not right, then what's going to happen? Ultimately, your action will be wrong. 
I have done enough counseling in my life to know that uh, <clears throat> prior to any uh, failure as far as fornication or infidelity in marriage, uh, that, that this that takes place in the mind a long time before. Thus, <clears throat> the value of the teachings of Jesus come into play. If a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery with her in his heart already. Uh, Jesus <coughs> was interested in us keeping the inside of the vessel clean so that our actions would be pure and our actions would be clean. And let me just state this to anyone that sits under the sound of my voice this morning. If you're contemplating in your mind, when I say contemplating, maybe I should say if you're enjoying some type of situation like this in your mind, you need to ask God to forgive you. You need to cast it out of your thinking. You, you need to gird up the loins of your mind as, as Peter instructed. You need to bring every thought into captivity. You need to discipline yourself so that you will be sure that your steps and your actions are directed to the Lord. That, that's so necessary. But see, Thyatira uh, was not that way. Thyatira enjoyed the doctrine of Jezebel. In other words, there was a lot of spiritual uncleanness involved in this church. Now notice what happened, though, in verse 21. Now this is speaking of Jezebel, but it's also true of the church. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. In other words, there was a time in which God dealt with her. He gave her space to repent, and she repented not. I, I don't know how long that space was. I, I, I just have no idea. But I know that as wicked as Jezebel was, uh, and, and let me tell you, if you go back and look in the Bible, uh, Jezebel was a, a married woman with an unmarried spirit. Uh, she, was, she, was, she had taken... Uh, the the king of Israel uh, as her husband, uh, but but she had an unmarried spirit. She was just she she did not act like a married woman. She she didn't think like a married woman. She was she was independent. Now her husband Ahab was not a righteous man, and I'm not for sure that he even thought like a married man. But but nevertheless, <clears throat> that's beside the point in this particular situation. But would you believe in all that, that God still dealt with this woman and God still gave her time to repent, but she repented not? Now, when God saw that there was no turning around, God had no other alternative but to exercise judgment against Jezebel for the sake of Israel, the nation that he loved so dearly, because she was affecting too many of the people. And you know what happened? He did exercise judgment against her. She died a very horrible, horrible death. You can read about that in the book of the Kings and the Chronicles. Now, <clears throat> this was also true of this church. God gave this church space to repent, but she repented not. Now, notice what the, the Lord says. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. It appears that what God is saying, there is a point in which if man wants to go wrong, what I'll do, I will not only allow him to go wrong, but I will create circumstances in which he will purposefully fulfill his own desires. Uh, you know, I've always often said this. I, 
I, <clears throat> there's several reasons why I wouldn't want to go to hell. I certainly wouldn't want to go to hell because that hell is the lake of fire that burneth forever with unquenchableness. And, and I, I, I don't know of anything more horrible than, than, than to burn forever in hell. I just, I, I just don't know of anything more horrible. Now, people are shutting this out. You, you don't hear much about it in churches anymore. It's almost like it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the four-letter word in the church that you're not supposed to talk about. You know, just don't, don't say anything about hell because people don't like to think about it. People don't like to talk about it. Uh, we just, we just prefer, prefer a, a sedate type service where nobody's moved and nobody's shaken. But you know, hell is real. It's just as real as heaven is, is real. And, and I wouldn't want to go there. Uh, a month or so ago, I was doing a little plumbing job. I'm not a plumber. Uh, I have a son that usually does the plumbing for me, but he had promised me he'd do something for me, and I got a little impatient. So I told him, I said, Roy, if you'll just leave your torch and a few things with me, uh, I, will, I will do this myself. Well, he wasn't able to leave his torch uh, but but he did leave a few other things, and I had a little propane torch. And I got in there, and I was doing some plumbing. And I don't know why, but I ran that torch across my finger right here. I It, it just just touched it. But I had the thing set to the point that that it, it would take a, a piece of three-quarter-inch copper, you know, and just get it hot in just, just a matter of seconds. And uh, I ran that across my finger. Well... Quickly, the thing started burning, and, and I went and uh, put it under the cold water, and I ran cold water on it, and, and it wouldn't stop, and I, I had to finish the job. I put an ice cube on it, and it wouldn't stop, and later on, uh, trying to take a shower, the hot water, I could not stand it. I, I, I never had anything to burn so badly. Well, it didn't look like that it was too bad, but the next morning, there was, it had already turned white, and there was a big blister there, and then... Uh, it got a little infection in it, and I said, oh, my. Now, I would not want to die and go to hell. I would not want that. Now, <clears throat> it's a horrible thought. <clears throat> to me, it's the most horrible type of punishment <clears throat> that you could inflict on anyone and take and bind them and burn them up. I, 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 I still am moved when I read uh, in history of people who were burned at the stake for what they believed. I, I just, uh, I admire, I highly, I, I do not know of any reward that you could put upon an individual, award maybe I should say, that you could put on an individual that uh, in, in any way <clears throat> would properly express uh, the, the particular bravery that a man uh would possess to, when he would go to a stake and be burned. I, I just, I mean, how in the world could you, how, how could you express to an individual? I mean, how could you? But you see, separate and apart from that, <clears throat> we know also that hell is the, is the place where sin is confined. In the book of Revelation, when man is judged, the Bible says that God puts a seal upon a man's life. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. But he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. That simply means that all the sins that are present on the planet Earth will be captured 
and confined to the lake of fire. I know that there will be a lot of praying in hell because Luke 16, Luke 15 talks of this, or Luke 6, Luke 15 talks of this. Uh, there's no doubt about it, but I'll guarantee you that there'll be a whole lot of cursing going on there also. I'll guarantee you that there will be. Uh, <clears throat> now notice what notice what happens. I will cast her, verse 22 of Revelation 2, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give to every one of you according to your works. Now, what is happening here is that I want you to hear me well. I I speak with a very uh, heavy heart today. Uh, I have not been feeling well for uh, four or five days. I've just had a sinus infection. It's given me a lot of opportunity to give a lot of thought to to what I'm speaking about. Uh, When people become, uh, what should I say? When, when, When people view God as a God that would that is so good that they would he would never inflict any punishment or pain upon people because of his goodness, they lose their fear of God. You hear what I'm saying? And see a lot of people have approached that place in what we have been hearing a lot about, and that's our baby boomer generation, where people don't want to hear about hell, we want to hear about love. We want to hear about the goodness of God. It's this attitude that man is taking about God. See, he's not considering the, the total context of the Scripture when God is spoken of. And so as a result then, he loses his, his, his respect and fear of God. He does not revere God the way that he needs to revere God. Now, let me just uh, turn back. In, in my Bible, to Romans 3, and let me read something that really does fit our present generation. This is the final verdict that will be passed upon the whole world when the whole world becomes guilty before God. <clears throat> uh, let's start uh, reading at verse 18 of Romans 3. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Now, a sepulcher means a grave. You remember what Jesus said of the Pharisees? He said, you're as whited sepulchers, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Uh, this, this is what the, the Bible is saying, that, that, a, that a man's throat becomes like a, a grave that's opened up. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now, I think this would just be a good time for me to stop and talk to you about something that that is extremely important. I wish we had all of our teachers and all of our children out here. Uh, <clears throat> I have had recently some parents to tell me, said, you know, we... Uh, we uh, took and purchased some Walt Disney uh, movies. Uh, they were thinking that, you know, we, it's got Walt Disney on it, and, and they thought that uh, 
they would uh, show these to their children. I said, you know, these Walt Disney movies, to our surprise, are, are full of uh, bad words. Uh, <clears throat> using the name of the Lord, uh, using all kinds of slang words and, and bad words. Uh, <clears throat> and But see, our society thinks nothing about it because uh, that's the way the heart is. That's the way people are thinking. Uh, you know, I, I just, maybe I am old-fashioned, but you're going to have to be extremely careful in this present day. You, you, and the Bible tells us to avoid the very appearance of evil. And, and you, just, you just have to be careful because, you see, this is the way the world is thinking, see. And, and if you're not careful, uh, Christian, Christians can get caught up in this. I don't want to be narrow-minded. God help me. I don't want to be. I have uh, carefully searched the Scripture. I, I, I don't want to place any yoke upon people that, that's too heavy for them to bear. But I'll tell you one thing. We're going to have to watch out in our present world because the devil's out to get you. You better believe that he is. You see, if I back up, and I'm going to go back and read in, from Romans 3, but if I back up to Romans 1, when it speaks of people being turned over to a reprobate mind. And a reprobate mind, by the way, is reaching that point of no return. That is, God consciousness is totally killed inside of the individual to where he cannot hear the voice of God anymore. <clears throat> now, in verse 24, and I know I'm starting in the middle of the story uh, of chapter 1 of Romans, verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Now, <clears throat> I searched this, this out, and you've heard me make this statement. When God gave them up, uh, several other translations say, God gave up on them. It just simply means that God reached the point in which He just kind of turned His back on these people and said, what's the use? They're not going to listen to me. I have talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. They won't listen to me. They don't care anything about me. So God gave them up. Now what happened when God gave up on them, that the uncleanness they were involved in and the lust that they were involved in and such, that this became even more vile or should I say more corrupt. So they became extremely corrupt. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, worship and serve the creature. <clears throat> I think this is talking about that man became lovers of themselves. Uh, we made idols out of each other. I think, you know, if you look in our world today, uh, who are our idols? Hollywood stars, some been married six, seven, and eight times. I'll tell you the truth. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Your little innocent children that you want to grow up and enjoy a good, healthy marriage, do everything you can to avoid them setting up some Hollywood star as an idol. Somebody that's been involved in all kinds of activities and, and gone through many marriages. You need to avoid that. 
Because you see what happens, that's planted in their little minds, and later on it becomes commonplace that, oh, well, what's, you know. Now, I, 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 I say this, I, I want you to understand what, I, what I'm talking about, but I remember when I first started pastoring, very rarely ever would you hear of a Christian getting a divorce. It was just, I mean, you just didn't hear of it. It just, just didn't happen. I mean, Christians would do everything to try to get along. They'd do everything to keep their marriage together. But of late, it, that has not been the case. And could it be then that part of the philosophy, the thinking, and the doctrine of the world has infiltrated itself into the church? Could it be? You see, that's what happened to Thyatira. She took the doctrines of the world and infiltrated. Isn't that what happened in the days of Noah? Did I read it this morning when the Bible says that the sons of man saw the daughters or the children of God? And there was the breaking down, there was the marrying of this, there was the unequally yoking together of individuals to dilute the doctrine of God on the face of the earth. Now Jesus said, as it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Where the church takes on a mindset of the world. That the system of the world is the system by which churches operate. Shouldn't be that way. You see, there is a system out there, but the Bible tells me, love not the world, nor the things that come out of the world. If a man loves the world, the love of God is not in him. And, and what we want to do, we want to take this, and later on, that is the system of the world, and, and later on, we change our idea about God. And we think, well, God, God must love me because God is blessing me. I remember talking to one lady one time about a very serious violation of the Scripture. And you know what she told me? She said, how can you prove that that's wrong? I said, according to the Bible. She said, yes, but down at the altar tonight, if you notice, I danced in the Spirit. She said, and I felt the Holy Ghost. I said, well, that's separate and apart from what we're talking about. She said, well, how would I feel God if I have done such a horrible thing? So she said, well, <clears throat> looks like I'm going to have to find some other place to go dance. I said, well... I mean, if you're going to look at it like that, maybe that would be best. How can I feel God? I said, but the Bible says. The Bible says. How would God ever lead a man out of sin if you did not feel His Holy Spirit leading you? If you didn't feel the effects of God upon you, how could He ever lead you out of sin? If you didn't hear the voice of God, how could you forsake your sinful way? But she had rationalized because she heard the voice of God and felt His Holy Spirit. She could do whatever she wanted to do. And as long as she felt God, that alone to her was conclusive evidence that her life was pleasing to God. That is not Scripture. 
So what we're doing now in the church, <clears throat> listen to me, we're making Hollywood stars our idols. Look around at young people. There can be some Hollywood star that's not worth a plug nickel as far as morality is concerned. It can come out with a new hairdo and all of the boys or the girls want to cut their hair and comb their hair just like that star. Hello? Now when you do that, that simply means that these people involved in immorality are having a much greater effect upon you and your lifestyle than what you believe or what you think. And then what about sports fans? Maybe I should say sports stars. Now I am not going to say that I believe that every sport star is corrupt. Now I will go so far as to say Listen to me very carefully. I hear of a lot of sports like football stars receiving the Holy Ghost. And someone told me about many of the Washington Redskin players receiving the Holy Ghost and many of the Dallas Cowboys receiving the Holy Ghost. Now, you may say, do you actually believe? Yes, I believe they can and perhaps did. I, was, I will not judge that. But I will say this. If they receive the Holy Ghost, they should immediately make God their top priority. And I happen to know there is nothing in the world that's, that, that brings about an obsession to the human being like sports. You can't go to church on Sunday for six months because you're always playing. I'm being old-fashioned, I know. But let me tell you something. I believe the judgments of God are coming to America. Do you know that one of the signs of the end of time, men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? Now, <clears throat> you invite someone from the west side to come over here to church. Man, it's too far over the east side. But when the Badgers are winning, people drive all over the state once a week to see them play and wish they played more at home. You follow what I'm saying? See, it all depends on where your heart is. My only intent in doing and saying what I'm saying to you today is to get you to understand that God must be your top priority, that anything else, regardless of what it is, has to be secondary. It just has to be secondary. I am not here to say, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. I'm just simply saying that I believe that a Christian can indeed enjoy life and still make God his top priority. <clears throat> then, of course, many young people in the Christian ranks have made some rock star their idol. Now I can't understand that. I've listened to three talk shows on radio this week about the Beatles. I read a large article in the paper. I'm just amazed at how many people are calling in and say, well, so what? 
Maybe they did bring a new awareness to the American people or to the planet Earth concerning drugs and sex. What's wrong with that? At least we began to experience reality. But you see, the Bible says when this happened, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise the men. Now, I'm going to make some bold statements about homosexuality. And if you like it, that's fine. If you don't, that's still all right. But there has been a real surge and an awareness of homosexuality in America. This has come to the forefront. And it's come to the forefront as a result of the breaking down of the Christian faith in our land. And someone had a big article in the paper about AIDS and said AIDS is <clears throat> not the judgment of God upon the homosexuality community. The homosexual community, right? You ask me, do you believe that it is, Brother Grant? It doesn't make any difference whether it is or is not. It is a judgment upon them. And it's a judgment upon not only the homosexuality, the homosexual community, but also people who are involved in numerous sexual affairs among heterosexual people. And I'll let it go at that. It's a judgment on them. Whether you believe it's a judgment from God or not, it is a judgment on them. By that I mean, it is killing in great proportions people who are involved in this. And, and the world is not saying, hey, let's quit doing this. They're saying, God, help us somebody find a cure so we can keep on doing what we're doing. There is a cure. Do you know what the cure for AIDS is? Stay out of somebody else's bed. It's a great cure. We could stop this. We could stamp it out. In just a matter of a few short years, and nobody on the planet Earth would have AIDS anymore. If we'd stop all this carrying on. Now, if I seem to be a little indignant right now, I'm mad at the devil. And I think it is stupid that people can't figure that out. We do have a cure for AIDS. Straighten up your act. Live right. Husbands, love your wives. Give yourselves to them. And wives, love your husbands and give yourself to them. And you young people, Preserve yourself until you get married. That's the cure.
If Bill Clinton, our president's not brave enough to say it, somebody's got to say it. And I know that my voice to just a few people here is so insignificant compared to the voice of men in high places. But nobody in high places is saying this. Why? Because it might cost them their job. They may not be in a high place. But I'm hoping that God will raise up someone that's bold enough. It doesn't make any difference whether they keep their job or lose their job. But somebody's got to tell America to repent. We are fast reaching the point of no return. Oh, God of heaven. God of heaven. God of heaven. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord of heaven. Oh, God. I love you, Lord. I really do. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Oh, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now notice, stay with me in Romans 1. Here's the reason why they became a reprobate. To become a reprobate, it's pretty easy to figure out according to the context of the Scripture. And even as they did not to like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Simply means that people dismissed God from their mind to the point that God no longer spoke to them. And that's what a reprobate is. Can you come to God without that still small voice calling you? You can't. See, Jesus said, No man cometh to God except the Spirit draweth him. Now, going back to Romans 3, <clears throat> we talked about their, their heart or their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongues are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. Now notice verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, they, they didn't fear God. They just simply did not fear God. I've talked with you know, there are some mistakes that you make and you can correct them. Uh, you learn from your mistakes. There's some mistakes you make. You, you, you live with the regret the rest of your life. I talked with several people. I've dealt with several people. I remember dealing with a lady years ago concerning her lifestyle. Uh, she just had some problems. Had a boyfriend, live-in boyfriend. That's been years ago when live-in boyfriends were not commonplace. She had a couple little children in the home, and I told her, I said, you know, you're going to live <clears throat> to regret this. Um, 
You know, she said, I just love this guy. I said, well, why don't you get married to him? Well, I don't know if I'm ready for marriage. <clears throat> I never could understand that. <clears throat> well, you share a home. You share the bills. You share the bed. But you're not ready for marriage. <clears throat> no, I don't know if I'm ready for that. The problem was that this little, beautiful little girl that was in their home wasn't going to stay this age. She's growing every year. She's getting a year older. Thirteen years of age. This lady knocked on my door one night, weeping and crying. <clears throat> I got out of bed, came to the door. I'll talk with you. She said, I'll tell you, why didn't somebody tell me? As if I'd never said anything. What do you mean? She told me about her little daughter who had run away with one of her best friends, boyfriend. And when I say boyfriend, I'm not talking about a lover, but just friend. He was in his 40s. Why, why would you do something like this? I said, hold it. I know it's too late to say I told you. But you're acting so innocent in this. You, you're saying you don't know why. Don't you remember just a few years ago I talked with you about this? Oh, <clears throat> she said, certainly what I did has no bearing on this. Why wouldn't it? I mean, if it's okay for mom, it's okay for me. Isn't it something? We always want everybody else to be right, but we don't care how right. That's just the way people are, you know. You live with regrets. She found her way back to our church, prayed at our altar. But the problem is, what's she going to do about that daughter now? Nothing. She couldn't do a thing. Turn to Ecclesiastes 4.12, and this... This is a scripture that seems to be a little bit unrelated, but I, I think it definitely does have some bearing on this. Ecclesiastes 4, <clears throat> verse 12. 
Now this is talking about uh, two or three people binding together what they can do. But then the principle is the same. In verse 12, And if one prevail against them, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, <clears throat> this works the same way in righteousness as it does in, in uh, iniquity. Uh, a husband and wife standing together. It's amazing the power that they have. I preached a message... I think about a year ago, and I entitled it, The Power of a Cooperate Witness. That is, people binding together. Everybody's saying the same thing. If two or three be gathered together in my name, there will I be in their midst. If any two of you touching any one thing on earth, it shall be done. The Bible is talking about when Christians bind themselves together what they can do that they could not do alone. I think one of the most beautiful unions in the world is marriage. When two Christians standing alone decide that we can do more together than we can do alone. And they bring their lives together and make one strong, gigantic unit for Jesus. I think it's so beautiful. And you can do that. But you also have to understand <clears throat> that when we consider iniquity, it works that way too. There's something about it when one man goes astray and he finds someone else who will go with him. He finds someone else who will go with him. It's also true <clears throat> that the more you give yourself to sin, the harder it is to break that cord of sin that's around you. Now, I think I can truthfully say that I am speaking to people here today because of the way that you have enshrouded yourself with the grace of God, with the love of God. It'd take a lot to get some of you out of the church. In fact, I will go so far as to say that I am speaking to people that the devil can not destroy. You'll be in heaven someday. You'll walk on streets of gold. But I will say this, <clears throat> that your strength in God is not determined by any one particular thing you have done. But success with God is predicated upon continual occurrences. Just pray every day. Seek God every day. If the devil could get you to stop praying every day, you might be lost. If the devil could stop you from singing those beautiful songs of Zion in your heart, you might be lost. If the devil could stop you from being kind and neighborly to people, you might be lost. But he can't. Because you have made up your mind that you're going to heaven. But on the other hand, to some, if the devil <clears throat> could get you to smoke one more cigarette, 
Now you may say, will a man go to hell for smoking cigarettes? I'm asked questions like that all the time. I'm not going to say what that point is in which a man will be lost. But I will say this. That a lot of these habits are designed to do what? Destroy the will. The will is broken. And you see, once the will is bound, can the man be saved? Question mark. Can he be saved? He can be, <clears throat> but he can only be saved if the will is restored. How is the will restored? Sometimes by preaching like this, that just literally jars you off center. Sometimes it'll be the singing of some song. Sometimes it'll be a circumstance that'll take you maybe right down to your deathbed. That, that happens, you know. You pray for a loved one, you say, save them at any cost. Please understand when you're praying for a loved one, you're saying that. Make sure that you're willing to stick by them all the way to the grave. Why? Because it might take that for some. But you see, God's more interested in their soul than, their, than He is in any other thing. He is interested in this. You pray those intercessory prayers, and God deals with the individual. Over a period of time, that will can be restored. But as long as the will is held... In captivity, the man, the woman, the boy, the girl, can not be saved. Who is a writer in the book of, I say, who is a writer, in, who is a writer in the New Testament that speaks of Satan holding people captive at his own will? It's in the book of Jude. In other words, he slips in and he gets them, and it seems like that the will of man is so bound. It's like the three-fold cord. Can't be broken. Have you ever prayed when you prayed? You know, you were praying about some sin, and it just you just struggled inside. You ever done that? I have. You've seen people pray at the altar, they would just struggle. Visibly, you could see them. They were struggling. What they're trying to do. Trying to break out of this. I want to have a will to do right. Remember one time, this is a little humorous story. Sister Jan was babysitting with our kids. <clears throat> now, she's supposed to be in charge, you understand. And they talked her into allowing them to tie her up. <clears throat> so they tied her up. The problem was she couldn't get loose. <clears throat> Here's the babysitter tied up in the floor <clears throat> by three little boys. 
And she's, I think she's trying to deny that. <clears throat> she can't remember that. <clears throat> but sometimes, you know, we get to playing around with sin. We think, oh, huh, you think this is going to destroy me? You think this is going to tie me up? And after a while, you'll find out that the person that you thought was in control was not in control. You're bound up and you're tied up. And guess what? We're not going to let you go. <clears throat> See, that's what happened to Judas. He messed around, manifesting a bad attitude, and his priorities got off base. He reached the point which he betrayed Jesus. It's, it's almost like he was like some force that you couldn't see, and that's exactly what was moving him to do what he did. But the Bridges read to us the story of King Saul and Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Same thing happened to Saul. You know. God kept dealing with him, kept dealing with him, kept dealing with him. The book of Genesis, God says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. The word strive there doesn't just mean dealing. <clears throat> but it really does mean strive. What do you think of when you think of something that, where there's something striving? Or let's just use the word strive. What do you think of? It's almost like a conflict, a fight. God's saying, look, I'm not going to fight with you guys. If this is what you want to do, you'll just do it. I wonder if the heaviness of my heart this morning isn't the direct result of maybe somebody here fighting with God. God's saying, look, I'm not going to fight with you forever. Can't. Jesus is coming soon. I'd like you to stay. Jesus is coming soon. Oh. You want to be saved? You want to give your heart to God today? Would you somehow just break loose from whatever is holding you and saying no to you and come right on and give your heart to God? Could you do that? Could you just say, I've had enough. I'm going to live for God. You're not getting any younger, you know. You're beating a path.
Let's give ourselves to the Lord. God wants to speak to us right now. like to be the first one to step out and come and give your heart to God would you do that right now oh God if you've never repented of your sins why don't you come on right now this is a good time to bend your knee call on your God come on right now would you do that Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on. Come on to the front and kneel. Would you do that? It may take a lot of nerve for you to do that. You're going to feel real good about it after you do it. Come on right now. Oh, hallelujah. Come on and pray. We have people to be glad to pray with you. Oh, hallelujah. Calling today, calling today, Jesus is calling. He's calling, he's calling you. He's calling you. Come on. Oh, Jesus is calling. 